Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. In this show, I sit down again with a guest who was a regular during the first few years of this podcast. A lot has changed during that time. That evolution from why should I have more women in my workplace to how can I get more women in my workplace, that has come about because this has become a mainstream topic. So I am really pleased because I think that is genuine advancement in my lifetime. In the past, Heather McGregor and I have talked about everything from perceptions of women's appearance at work, to getting ahead without guilt, to the horrors of being fired. This time, we're talking transitions in life and work. Coming up. Heather McGregor used to write a column for the Financial Times under the name Mrs. Moneypenny, and I read it avidly for years. I first got in touch with her after her book, Mrs. Moneypenny's Career Advice for Ambitious Women, was published. And looking back, I will admit that I was a bit intimidated by Heather at first. She is no-nonsense, candid, opinionated, successful. For many years, she owned and ran a headhunting firm in London – She wants to help people with their careers, and she particularly wants to help women who, as she puts it, want to go places. But she doesn't sugarcoat anything. Those feel-good inspirational quotes are not for her. Rather, her views are bracing. These clips come from a conversation we had in 2013. Yes, I don't do guilt. If you feel guilty about something, it can just weigh over you like a cloud. You can go around just beating yourself or eats at your self-confidence. You just feel terrible all the time. And that drains you of energy to do anything useful or to move forward in your life. A bit later in that interview, she told me parenting was an individual decision, that she personally would not have been a good stay-at-home mother. She said she respected women who took that decision to stay at home full-time. But I see far too many women who make that ultimate sacrifice and then 20 years later are in my office saying, oh my goodness, my children have left home, I have no qualifications and no relevant work experience and my husband may or may not have left as well and I'm now on my own and I have no way of earning a living. Well, you know what? You had 20 years to plan for that. I've got no sympathy. When we last spoke in 2016, Heather was still running her own business She'd poured a lot of herself into that business, which she'd bought from the founders in the early 2000s. But not long after our last conversation, she made a big leap. Then in her mid-50s, she left her business and took a job as executive dean of Edinburgh Business School. It's part of Harriet Watt University. She left Southern England for Scotland and a totally new career. She'll turn 60 on her next birthday. First, I asked Heather what prompted the career change. 
Well, actually, I, I wanted to do something at the next stage of my career that would make a big impact. And, and you know, running a headhunting business as an entrepreneur was making a big impact in many ways. You know that I set up my own foundation to help minority ethnic young people to get jobs um, after university because I felt they were very disadvantaged. And that, that work continues. So I'd managed to make something of an impact as an entrepreneur, but I felt I would make a much bigger impact on a global scale if I came to run a business school. And not just any business school. This business school owns the largest distance learning MBA program in the world. So moving from influencing a few hundred people's careers to tens of thousands of people was just such an amazing opportunity. Even though you made this decision willingly, it must have been quite a transition to go from your your identity, frankly, as a business owner and someone running the business, even though you're in an, another top job. I mean, just can you talk a little bit about what that was like and how long it took to feel this is me now? Well, there's the personal and the professional transitions that you have to make to do things like this. Um, from a personal point of view, you know, I had a child still in high school at the time that I came here. And he was in his final two years of high school. So he was absolutely you know, not willing or wishing to be uprooted and moved to Scotland. So the first thing that I had to do was leave behind my family home intact with my husband in it and my son going to school every day and then go home probably three out of four weekends. Eventually, she persuaded her son to board at his school during the week. Her oldest son and his girlfriend moved into the family home, so her youngest had family to come home to on weekends, and her husband came north to be with her. So that was the personal side. In a way, she says, the professional transition was easier. Getting the title helped. So overnight, I became a professor. And so therefore, I started introducing myself as a professor, and that made it a much more straightforward professional transition but in order to really make that professional transition what I needed to do wasn't so much adopt my new persona as leave behind the old one and I couldn't really do that until the staff in my business were able to really step up and run the place completely without me and from deciding to go to that actually happening it's probably about a year. Heather sold her business to her staff for what she says was a modest amount of money with the agreement that they keep up the foundation she founded. She says it's a pretty unusual thing she's done, this career switch, and it's been bumpy at times. Not many entrepreneurs give up to go and transition into a full-time job. I mean, that was the really hard thing. Transitioning from owning and running your own business to a full-time job in the public sector... I have never worked in the public sector. You know, this is not a private university. This is a a public university that is largely funded by the government. And that is a totally different environment to work in. Was that a bit frustrating in some ways? Do you know what? I was 55 years old when I came up here and I don't think I could have done it any earlier. I think you have to have the patience of a saint to work in the public sector in the United Kingdom. Best way to describe it is... Even though I was uh, put in charge of millions of pounds of money and people and I was effectively running Scotland's biggest education export business, despite all of this, I can only describe it to you as if you want to buy even a pint of milk, you have to consult about 27 people on average. 
you finally get agreement that you're going to buy this pint of milk and you go out and you spend what is a very small amount of money to buy a relatively unimportant item and then somebody else, a 28th person, will come out of a cupboard somewhere that you didn't even know existed and say, how dare you buy that pint of milk without asking me, I wanted soy. And this is what life is like in the public sector. So I have had to learn to consult to to operate under consensus-driven decision-making, to listen more. None of these things are bad things to learn to do, but it's not possible, I don't think, for me as a person to have done that before I was in my mid-50s. Not only has she had to adapt to life in the public sector, she's had to adapt to, or rather she's helped create, the life of the school during the pandemic. Heather says while her children have all left home, many of her employees have young kids. A lot are women, some are single parents, others are caring for their own parents. She says they've all done their best to help each other out, but still. When it comes to academia, you know, sometimes you have to teach at certain times of the day. So we've all got very familiar with each other's domestic circumstances uh, through this and try to provide support, reallocate teaching to other people. But then even that seems you know, unfair because what ends up happening is that you end up asking people who don't have those constraints to take over more things, which, you know, people are always willing to do in an emergency. You've always, we've always had that when people have been ill or whatever. But this now doesn't feel like a temporary emergency. This is like more of a permanent thing. So what of the future of work for women as we gradually, hopefully, come out of COVID? So I'm much more hopeful, actually, about opportunities for women. I mean, I'm naturally an optimist anyway, so you have to apply a bit of a discount to anything I say in this area. Um, But I'm always optimistic for women. I think women have so much to offer. And the reason I'm particularly optimistic is that I think that the pandemic has accelerated a lot of change in the right direction. So while working at home, if you have home caring responsibilities and schools are not open, is not ideal. In a world where schools are open... And you can juggle around home care and and you can work from home more days a week. I think more women will return to the workforce and be able to take more senior jobs because suddenly it's become completely acceptable to work from home. You know, I think the whole presenteeism thing, it, it, it has gone, has been wiped away by COVID. Pivoting again to a different non pandemic related question. I first talked to you, I think, the year your book came out, 2012, because it was in one of my very first shows. And I feel so much has changed in those years in that the topic of women in the workplace has gone. It's been so widely covered. And I think Sheryl Sandberg probably sparked that off with Lean In. Lean In kind of gave birth to a whole world of coverage about women in the workplace that simply wasn't there when you wrote your book and when I started this show. I welcome that because I can see it as a natural transition. As you know, I was one of the founders of the 30% Club in 2010 with Helena Morrissey. The 30% Club is a British-based organisation founded to help get women onto boards and into senior management. And I remember in those first years, you know, when we used to approach chairman of public companies and say, you need more women on the board, they, the answer immediately, pretty well, unilaterally, was, you know, why? Why should I bother? And we spent all our time trying to evidence why they should bother and why they should look at this. And the question has changed over that time and now the question is how do I 
that evolution from why should I have more women in my workplace to how can I get more women in my workplace, that has come about because this has become a mainstream topic. So I am really pleased that it has become a mainstream topic because I think that is genuine advancement in my lifetime. I mean, what I would say about Lean In is I'm, I was enormously grateful that Lean In turned up. Well, I, and actually that, that makes me think of something else, which was, you know, what, what Sheryl Sandberg got flack for for the book from a lot of readers was that it concentrated very much on what the individual woman could do to do better at work. And since then, there's been a lot written about companies, structures, organizational structure and how structure can conspire against you. And I wonder how you feel about that, because you always have been quite you know, individual as well about what we women can do to improve our, our situation and circumstances. I mean, have you have your views changed at all on the the structural side of things? So I, I think it's a, you know, I'm an economist by training as an undergraduate. And I think that this is a demand and supply situation and I don't think that it's more incumbent on individuals or more incumbent on companies I think it's a 50% thing one way or the other and and if we go back to the 30% club because that you know has been a great campaign is now 30% clubs all over the world what you know just this week one has launched in Poland what we have seen is that we started off trying to fix it from a company's point of view you know we actually went out two companies and try to actively get them to find ways to put more women on their boards. And so we started as a structural thing, as a, de- as a demand-led thing. And then once we got over a certain threshold, then we realised it was also a supply-led thing on the other side. You know, women weren't putting themselves forward, weren't you know, making the individual decisions to get ready for this. I think it's incumbent on every woman to think about what she wants in her career and whether or not she's putting the building blocks in place to get that ready. And I think it's incumbent on every leader to think about how they might have more women in their workplace. And I, and I you know, I've campaigned for women all my life. I will, that will always be my thing. But what we really want, of course, in the workplace is not so much diversity of gender, but diversity of thought. Because if you have diversity of thought, you will reduce risk. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started I spoke to Heather back in June, shortly after my interview with INSEAD professor Jennifer Petrolieri. You heard Jennifer in the last two shows talking about dual career couples. Her book, Couples That Work, and the interview really got me thinking about our relationships and the impact they have on our careers and how much our work affects our relationships. Your husband, it seems, for, has always supported you and you clearly always discuss these big career moves with him. Just talk a little bit, if you would, about how important that partnership has been to you being able to do what you have done over the years. 
I think it's been very important to being me being able to do what I've done and stay married. You know, I know a lot of people say, well, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, behind every successful man, there's a very hardworking woman, and behind every successful woman, there's a very supported man. I like to think that I would still have been successful in whatever I chose to do, whether I've been married or not. But we've married for 32 years. It has been a marriage of two halves. As in, for the first 15 years, I packed up and trailed after him all over the world. And I did lots of things in the, in the meantime, though, because I knew that one day the opportunity would come for the other way around. So I studied for my MBA. And, you know, I didn't go on honeymoon. I went and did an MBA instead. Uh, and I did that while working and having a baby. And he was very supportive of that. He knew that I wanted to get an MBA. And then I carried on trailing around the world, earning much less money than I should have done. Because every time I just got sorted out in a job, I had to move again. Then I thought, right, well, I'm going to get a PhD because one day I want to work in academia. Heather has always had an eye on the future. She's always building towards the next thing, even if that thing still seems like it's a long way around the corner. She studied for her PhD at the University of Hong Kong, but by the time she completed it, the family was back in England. She ruled out travelling all the way back to Asia for her graduation ceremony. But the university said she could purchase her graduation gown if she wanted. It was going to cost her £500. She decided to look on it as an incentive for her future self. She told herself, I'm going to buy my gown. Even though I'm not going to graduate, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to hang it in my wardrobe. And it's going to be a reminder to me that I aspire to a university career one day. And the day I finally took it out of my wardrobe and wore it was my first graduation ceremony that I attended in my new job in 2016. And it had hung all those years there as a reminder of what my aspiration was, which was one day to be a university professor. She'd made it. Back around the time of getting that degree, after years of having the second career in the family, things began to turn around. Heather's husband found his industry changing and his career with it. He wasn't enjoying himself anymore. She now had her PhD in finance and she bought her business. And when, you, when it was your turn, your husband didn't dispute that or anything. He accepted that now your ambition was at the fore and it was gonna, you were going to honour that. I think he felt very, at the beginning, you know, when he was finding it harder to get the big jobs, I think he found that quite emasculating. And so I encouraged him to completely change career. And so he retrained, not once, but twice. He retrained in the wine industry and had a nine-year career there. Heather's husband's Australian, and as a young man, he played cricket for his country. In his third incarnation, he became a professional cricket coach in Oxfordshire. All this time, she was the family breadwinner, and still is. Now her husband is up in Edinburgh with Heather, spending a lot of time playing another beloved sport, golf. I said to her, it sounds like they fit Jennifer Petrolieri's description of dual career couples that work. Well, what I would just say about, you know, I'm the last person to opine about marriage. I mean, I don't know who's more shocked that we're still married, my husband or me. But what I would say is that it's been worth persevering with because now that we are being married all the time and we have three children and a granddaughter. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, so it's very nice to be able to share those things 
with somebody and to be able to look back over those 32 years. And even though there have been some definitely very low points, you know, at one point we had to work in separate sides of the world for 18 months and all of this kind of thing. Now, as I approach 60, people say, well, wouldn't you like to be 30 again or 40? You know, I'm, I'm loving being this age. And I think that it's a, a post-menopausal stage of our lives can be just as rewarding and achieving as every other stage if you put your mind to it. Thanks to Heather McGregor for being my guest on this show. You can find Heather in several past shows. The last one was episode 147. That's called Forced Out. I will link you to all of those under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. You know where to reach me. I am Ashley at thebroadexperience.com. I'm always pleased to hear from you. Listeners make up a big part of this show and always have. That's it for this time. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in September. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.